Well, Treasury yields are down, stocks are up as we wait for US CPI numbers today, although how important are those numbers really when it's jobs that the Fed is eyeing up? And oil prices reach a six-week high, a sign of disruption or hopes for recoveries picking up. And what will Philip Lowe say today, the governor of the RBA giving his views at the annual Annika Foundation lunch today? It's Tuesday, the 14th of September 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. All right, well, the US dollar has waxed and waned today, but it's ultimately just a little over 0.1% up on the DXY index. It's up 0.6% on the Swiss franc. The Aussie dollar has had similar ups and downs because it's just uh, obviously the inverse of what's happening with the US dollar, getting close to 73.8 US cents, but falling back to 73.6, where it was yesterday, pretty much staying well clear of 74 US cents for now. US stocks are mixed. The S&P is up slightly. The Dow up 0.6%, but the Nasdaq is down. Down a quarter percent. Ten-year Treasury yields are down two basis points to 1.32 percent. Very little bond action in Europe. Aussie ten-year bond yields, though, are up five basis points to 1.27 percent. We'll uh, see if we've got time to talk about that today. And oil climbing higher as well. A six-week high. WTI now over seventy dollars. Well over seventy dollars after a, a gain of more than one percent today. A 0.9 percent lift in Brent as well. So let's get the latest. Uh, here's Tapas Strickland from NAB in Sydney. It's a quiet day, isn't it? Really, for sure, Tapas. But we are in a difficult spot right now because uh, we assume that uh, we're going to get CPI later on today for the US. We assume that it's going to be higher. We're going to see prices rising. Higher oil prices could add to that perhaps. And we assume later on in the week US retail sales uh, are going to be hit by this rising COVID cases. So just how transitory is inflation uh, right now? Because I, I put the question to Rodrigo yesterday. If inflation hangs around longer because of supply concerns, that's not an overheating economy, is it? That's the opposite. So should any central bank really be thinking about tightening and in, in an environment like that? Hey, good morning, Phil. Yeah, it has been a very quiet night in markets. And I think markets overall are very much focused on three things. As you mentioned, the US CPI figures on Tuesday, um, some of the virus outbreaks that are occurring in China at the moment and really calm the head of the FOMC meeting the, the following week. Uh, in terms of uh, inflation, uh, I, I guess a lot of the components that we have seen driving inflation, people have been saying um, being driven by transitory factors. And to some extent, that's that's right. And we have seen lumber prices in the US fall back to pre-pandemic levels now. Um, and you're starting to see used car values to also edge lower as well over the past uh, three months. But nonetheless, due to those persistent virus outbreaks in Asia, um, particularly in a number of countries in China, uh, Taiwan and Vietnam, uh, you're seeing more companies in the US reporting supply chain issues and reporting um, that they may need to pass on those higher prices from those supply chain issues. So it, it could be that uh, the transitory impacts from all these supply chain um, things are longer than expected. And then in terms of what does that mean for the Fed? Well, it basically means as long as inflation expectations aren't lifting in a meaningful way, then they can wait out uh, that uh, lift in inflation if it is indeed transitory uh, in order to achieve their maximum employment objective. So when you look at inflation expectations in the US at the moment, they're back to around their averages of, of about 2014. Um, and you, if you cast your mind back to 2014, uh, the Fed was, uh, wasn't even achieving its 2% uh, core inflation objective then. So you could say uh, they could let inflation expectations run a little bit higher before they get overly concerned about any temporary lift in inflation due to supply chain problems. Ryan, how important are those numbers today, do you think? Because we know there are supply concerns. We 
we know that that is playing with CPI numbers, and we know the Fed is really more concerned about jobs. It's job numbers that can, not CPI. Oh, in, indeed, and it's it's all about that maximum employment objective. They've definitely um, achieved the objective of inflation overshooting, and uh, I guess to the extent that inflation expectations don't rise, and that allows them to buy time in order to get more in terms of maximum employment. Uh, I've been looking at some of the Fed papers from their recent Jackson Hole conference, and uh, one paper there noted that uh, the fall in the participation rate that we have seen due to the pandemic, around 90% of that is due to cyclical factors. So I think uh, there's good reasons why the Fed may hold out Mm. in hopes of more employment gains from here on in, because they think uh, the cyclical improvement in the US economy will uh, lift that uh, participation rate up further and uh, therefore create more jobs. Now, the UK is getting its job numbers tonight, isn't it? Uh, so it's obviously not just the job number itself that's interesting, but the hours worked because they've still got uh, furloughed workers there. So it'll be interesting to see how many of them are real jobs where people are actually turning up and doing that work and uh, and how many of them are people just being kept in a job because they're getting close to the end of that now, that scheme. Uh, yes. And when you look at the uh, em- employment consensus there for the UK, the consensus there looks for a lift to 199,000 jobs from 95,000. And I think focus is also going to be on those um, hourly earnings figures, just given um, how hefty they have been most recently, though obviously being uh, turned around by compositional effects there. Now, oil shot up today, hasn't it? Uh, and this is, I think, because OPEC are predicting stronger demand. Uh, that this is demand from OPEC countries, but they're seeing a disruption in supplies from countries outside OPEC, like Mexico and uh, and Africa, and uh, North Sea oil from from the UK. Uh, and, and we've not really talked about it, but you know, production was hit hard, wasn't it, by Hurricane Ida as well. Uh, and a lot of that production still isn't back online just yet. So we have uh, sort of like a double whammy, don't we, uh, for oil prices? One is that you know supplies have been hit, like everything, like everything else has everywhere. Uh, but also OPEC are predicting stronger demand, so uh, you'd expect prices to rise. But you know, nowhere near the hundred dollars that we were we were talking about. You know, well, we weren't, but some commentators were predicting early in the year that we might have a hundred dollar oil this year. Yeah, so we haven't gotten to that price there. But as you're noting, the movements overnight are due to those. To two events. And just worth noting, Tropical Storm Nicholas is also set to make landfall in, mm. in Texas. So there's some thought that uh, oil production will be disrupted in, in the Gulf uh, further. And just worth noting that uh, nearly 50% of oil supply is still down in the Gulf of Mexico, um, just given the uh, that Hurricane Ida and the effects from that. So could they sort of balance themselves out if oil production resumes and COVID cases fall? So we've got demand increasing, but we've also got oil increasing. That that would suggest that you know we're not going to see any sharp moves, wouldn't it? You know, so oil would stick pretty much where it, the sort of level where it is right now. I, I think it's one of those things where it's possible that demand recovers more sharply than supply. than the oil supply. And uh, when you look at the details of that OPEC report, uh, the revised higher their twenty twenty two oil. Um, demand by about a million barrels a day higher um, than last month's estimate. So that's quite an aggressive lift up in in, in oil demand there. Um, of course, a lot of it will also depend on what um, OPEC uh, thinks about that and whether they would lift uh, production targets in response to that. Right. So if we did see a rising, so we've got oil uh, prices potentially rising, uh, we've got... Uh, 
tax perhaps rising in the UK. We, you know, we've learned that next April they're going to be lifting tax by one and a half percent, almost across the board. Everyone's going to be paying this new tax. If Joe Biden gets his way with his new spending package, then you could see corporate tax and capital gains tax rises. I mean, it's going to not impact everybody. It's going to obviously impact the richest part of society more than everybody else. But it's still going to impact spending and investment. Um, so there's a few things at play here, aren't there, that could uh, could slow, you know, we could find governments getting involved in slowing down the potential recovery. Oh, definitely. And I think this is uh, one thing really worth watching is what do fiscal authorities do? Mm. Uh, and do they try and rein in their budget deficits after the, the pandemic? And the lesson from the global financial crisis and the aftermath of that is that you don't want to uh, tighten policy too too quickly um, because you don't really know how much of that rebound will, will be sustained there. And I guess that's the lesson that monetary policy authorities have, have learned and that's one of the reasons why uh, central banks right around the world are keeping a policy relatively easy for, for some time. But it does look like there has been some movement by fiscal authorities to lift or propose to lift uh, taxes. And just worth noting, in the US, not only are those tax hike increases being proposed, uh, but the really large $3.5 trillion um, infrastructure stimulus uh, looks like it will have to be pared back as well. So you may not get as much of a fiscal boost uh, from the US from those infrastructure packages. And Senator Manchin, who's the uh, Democrat um, uh, centrist in, uh, in, in the Senate, uh, is saying that he's only going to be open to a $1 to $1.5 trillion package, uh, which is well below that $3.5 uh, trillion envelope that President Biden is trying to push. Now, on we talked about US-China relations uh, yesterday, the, the talk between Joe Biden and President Xi, uh, and President Joe Biden is going to host leaders from Australia, India, Japan at the White House next week. There's obviously going to be talking about China behind their back. Uh, I'm not sure if, I mean, supposedly this is, uh, the official line is it's to go through the new multilateral configurations to meet the challenges of the 21st century. I knew it'd be something like that. Uh, but this is, in other words, talking about China behind their back. I'm not sure whether this is going to be good or bad for, for Australia or for the Aussie dollar. Could it uh, could it sour relations even further? Well, uh, Australia's been a member of that quad for, for some time. And I don't think, necessarily think it sours the relationship between China and Australia, but it doesn't help, help heal it at, mm. at, at the same time. And uh, Australia has lined up with uh, the US uh, in terms of uh, the policy outlook in regards to China for the past uh, couple of years. So no real change in the uh, political outlook uh, in regards from Australia to China there. Meanwhile, China uh, undergoing a bit more of a lockdown at the moment, isn't it? Yes, I think this is a really interesting and... um, so there, if you cast me mind back to August, um, if, if you recall, the country did shut down a key terminal at it, it, the uh, third busiest port in the world yeah, after one worker case. was infected by COVID. Yes. yes. Um, and so there's, I think there's been 74 cases in this uh, Fujian province and surrounding provinces in China uh, over the past uh, couple of days. And so mm. that kind of aggressive suppression strategy or elimination strategy looks like it's going to be replicated. Um, S&P 500, no, sorry, sorry, so S&P Global Ratings did note, though, that uh, China does need to transition to start living with the virus yeah. uh, because um, the additional burdens of lockdowns onto corporates um, could start to see weakening credit trends there. And I think the lesson is globally is um, that you just uh, you need to lift those vaccination rates up high enough in order to ease up on those 
restrictions? Yeah. Well, more and more research pointing to that, isn't it? The people who are going to hospital are people who haven't been vaccinated or have only had one jab. So the more people in the UK uh, is likely to announce tomorrow that 12 to 16 year olds, like in Australia, uh, will be vaccinated as well and possibly a third jab as well for vulnerable people and uh, possibly for the, for the over 50s as well. So more jabs in the arms is going to help the recovery. I mean, that's I mean, all the research is showing. That. Oh, definitely. And just worth noting a few uh, UK and US studies. So one UK study found that only 0.5% of all COVID deaths occurred in fully vaccinated people. So mm. Um, if you're fully vaccinated, it gives you extremely high protection against uh, COVID-19. Clear, and then at, um, at uh, US hospitals, around uh, 90% of recent uh, COVID patients were unvaccinated. So the mm. COVID uh, Delta surge that, that we're seeing in many parts of the world is being driven by unvaccinated people. Now, the NAB business survey is out today. We had the ANZ business outlook survey for New Zealand yesterday, which showing uh, business confidence is improving despite the lockdown. So a lockdown that's just been extended, of course, for another week in Auckland. So a big expectation there for a solid bounce back. So are we going to see a similar picture in today's numbers for Australia, do you think? I mean, I say, do you think? Because obviously you haven't seen them yet. Yeah, I probably won't venture into uh, the territory about speculating on the NAB uh, business survey. <laughs> um, but I think what will be interesting, uh, in addition to the NAB business survey, and what actually may overshadow it is a speech by RBA Governor yes. Lowe to the Nika Foundation. Uh, and he's speaking on Delta, the economy and monetary policy. And just given that the RBA went ahead uh, with its scheduled taper of bond purchases last week, I, I think there'll be a lot of questions about how confident Governor Lowe is, is in the rebound once uh, those restrictions ease. And the soundings from the New South Wales Premier is, at least uh, for Sydney, is that uh, substantial easing of restrictions will occur in mid-October once that full adult vaccination rate lifts up to that 70% uh, level there. Um, there's also been some talk in the papers um, in the SMH that look like there might be a bit of backgrounding that the governor may also speak on the property market as well. Right. Yeah, he normally gives a bit away at these uh, Annika uh, lunches, doesn't he? So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that. We'll leave it there for now. That's only a few hours away. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk. We'll catch you again, again very soon. Thanks, Tapas. Uh, great. Uh, thanks, Phil. And that's how things are this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again. We're back with Rodrigo tomorrow morning. I'm back too. I'll see you then. Enjoy your day.